the hype train is and we're like oh my god this is terrible we're uh, so good can we just stop that crap Ireland could win the World Cup let's be honest oh Shane I could no why are we so afraid no. of this OTB AM live weekday mornings from 7.30 on the OTB Sports app Monday Night Rugby on Off The Ball with Vodafone main sponsor of the Irish rugby team we all belong to the team of us Six Nations round two I think it is fair to say delivered in spades Ireland 32 France 19 Irish rugby touching dizzying heights is where we are after round two we have Scotland backing up round one they beat Wales 35 points to seven Finn Russell opened his uh, magic box tricks and uh, they go to Paris in two weeks time and then England did fine I suppose against Italy at Twickenham 31 points to 14 so that is where we are. Very happy to say, joined in studio by Mr. Rory O'Connor of the Irish Independent. You're very welcome. Thank you, Joe. Good to and you. Liam Tolan, great to have you on. Liam, long time no talk. How are you doing, Joe? Name us a better, Liam, Irish performance. Well, I was sitting three rows in the very back on the south side of the ground and I had a... I, I just thought it was an amazing fixture. I had a wonderful view. I was right at the back, but... You could see the whole systems and plays of both sides um, in, uh, evolving over time. Ireland looked so comfortable in so many ways, uh, particularly in those opening phases where France, with the massive bolt that they had, um, they asked an awful lot of questions, but the Irish defence remained solid, remained comfortable, was extremely aggressive off the line. And what was very heartwarming it was as France went through their phases, they ran out of attackers and Ireland never ran out of defenders. They looked very, very comfortable up until that uh, Peno try, which was, again, for me, uh, to kind of hint at your question, was one of the great moments in Six Nations history, in Five Nations and Six Nations history. It was a wonderful score. Um, I loved every minute of it. I was surrounded by French. There was way more French than I thought. It was a wonderful, wonderful fixture, a wonderful um, uh, advertisement of our game. And the amount, just literally the amount of ball in play was like nothing we'd experienced before. Two, the one and two teams in the world. It was it was quality all over the place. 46 minutes uh, ball in play to be exact, which is six, seven minutes than we might otherwise usually expect. And there were, Rory, uh, 10,000 French fans. Mm-hmm. We're estimating maybe a few more at the Aviva Stadium, which is obviously more than the, the 5,000 uh, quotient that they were given so there were ways and means I've no problem if we let 10,000 French into the Aviva uh, routinely uh, it was uh, an extraordinary occasion probably reflects the uh, RFU's you know, obviously get a, get a negative in first the RFU's ticketing policy and the fact that it cost at least 135 quid to go to the game maybe the, the clubs I, certainly I found it difficult to find buyers for tickets uh, that I had because it was so expensive and I think the clubs uh, tickets a lot of them would have ended up in the corporate market which ended up in France which is why I think we had so many coming over and it was like was it 9 or 10 charter planes coming over to me it was the best um, New Ze- look the two the two wins in New Zealand shouldn't be discounted the two the two performances in both of those games the 2018 win in Twickenham I think was a sensational performance um, 07 against sorry yeah 07 against England the, 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 the Crow Park game must be up there although it was a poor English team but it was a very complete performance by that team to me, that first half was the highest quality uh, rugby I've ever seen live. Anyway, maybe the, I was at the 09 second test, which is the most intense, the most probably the, I've always said that was the best game of rugby I've ever been to. But that first half 
on Saturday had everything. I didn't. It didn't quite live up to it when I watched it back. Maybe that's because it wasn't live and I knew where where it was going. And and you're you're, it seems slower than I remember. But when you get that ball and play stat and and how much more time, you know, due to the execution of the players, the fact that they weren't knocking the ball on, the tactical choices both teams made by keeping the ball on the pitch, which to me France committed a bit of Harry Carey there. They could have you know they could have done with playing a slower game. The first half was just. You know, rugby gets an awful lot of um, bad press or negativity through the, the for very good reasons um, in terms of the way it was being played, the slowness of games, the um, the concussion issues, all of that stuff. Um, but this was the best advertisement you could possibly get for the sport. Albeit you could throw in the Uini Antonio tackle, which shows exactly what's wrong with it. But it was it, it was brilliant. It was great sport. It was great theatre. Two teams just going for it. It's the best two teams in the world going for it. It was it was sensational. Liam, styles make fights. Last year, France kicked more metres than any other team in the Six Nations. Ireland uh, were bottom of that list, by the way. They were six. They passed more than anyone else. But France, uh, a kicking team, and they pitched up in Dublin and in the first half in particular refused to kick the ball. Ireland had more kicks than France, 38 to 35, which was unexpected. Uh, Apparently, Galtier wasn't impressed that this happened and they did kick more in the second half. We had Ronan O'Gara on yesterday. He was saying that the players seem to have noted the quibbles in the French media that France are too much of a kicking team. They're betraying the, the, the Gallic flair. And they almost just sort of seem to, to go for it and say, let's have a cut. And, you know, Rogers talked to us about someone like Penau, who is this glorious runner, but has to traditionally go against his natural instincts and just kick the ball as opposed to running it. There seemed to be a degree of France saying, well, to hell with this. Oh, away we go. And and maybe it was self-defeating, uh, the glorious try aside. Well, the, the momentum that France have been generating over the past number of months with the victories, you know, they were going for a, a record, what was it, 14 victory uh, at the weekend and didn't get there. Uh, it was built on a certain style. Like, emotionally, after the game, if I was in the French dressing room, I'd be a bit confused because... Uh, they played against the best team in the world in Dublin, but they were the only team to beat Ireland twice in the uh, in the Northern Hemisphere in the last couple of seasons. So this French team is there thereabouts. But I just felt that they got very confused in what they were trying to do. If you look at, there was a total of 21 lineouts in the game and there was an unbelievable only five scrums in the game. And you compare that to the other two fixtures, like there was 35 lineouts in the England Italy game and 34 in Scotland. So those extra lineouts, those extra scrums give... The fact he's a huge opportunity to regain um, uh, composure, to regain uh, energy, but also to control the tempo of the fixture. And like, again, as I said, in the opening 10, 15 minutes, whatever France threw at Ireland, Ireland's defensive system was extraordinarily comfortable. So much so it came flying up out of the line constantly. There was no, there was lots of tackles missed and probably the Peno try was, was where the brunt of the tackles were missed. There was errors and mistakes, but nothing France did at any stage, really would say, wow. And my feeling after the game was, that if you took that try out, France should be pretty confused about where they stand. Are they going to go back to the kicking game you're talking about? Or are they going to start kind of like the likes of Antonio, etc.? Are they going to say, well, they're luxuries to be carrying because they're not, there isn't enough 
we didn't create enough um, <clears throat> field possession, but we didn't structure play to bring those guys into it. And they were lost because it's just the pace of the game, the pace the way Ireland played. And that's without the likes of some of the great players that we expect to be starting for Ireland weren't there for ob- obvious reasons. So a huge compliment to those guys who came in. Tom O'Toole is an example. But I'm a bit confused about what France need to do next because they're carrying some monsters and on the bench they've even bigger monsters, yet they didn't play a style of game that would lend to it. And then when Penno scored the try, then you'd say, well, why can't we play that? But the, I felt they just didn't get the balance right. Uh, and I think Ireland did. They remind me a little bit of Ireland in 2019. Um, I thought they flagged a little bit as, 28, as, as 2022 went on. I thought their November, while they got the results, wasn't as impressive. They relied on some individually brilliant moments, which, you know, it's great to have them, but they didn't look as as cohesive or as, as comprehensive as they were in the Six Nations they they didn't go on a serious June tour they or July tour they went to Japan and they, they left a lot of their players at home which I think is is the right decision considering the, the amount of volume that those players play across the top 14 season and I don't think this game will damage them in the same way that losing to England did at the start of the Six Nations in 2019 did to Ireland but I do think it'll give them a, ch- a chance to reset I always thought two Grand Slams in a row was going to be a massive massive ask for this team who had to go to Dublin and Twickenham this this spring Galtier is from what you hear is quite an intense demanding and, and, and difficult character so having him at the helm for four years I think his voice can become a little bit like Schmidt or an Eddie Jones it can become repetitive it can get lost and maybe it's no harm that they went against him once and then lost for their from their point of view so that he can go into them and go well you've tried your way let's go back to my way and Sean Edwards way Um this could be the right defeat at the right time for that France team. At the same time, you've got to also appreciate there's a massive crisis going on in the French rugby because their president has been um, prosecuted for... Um, he's been prosecuted. If I use the wrong words, I could end up you know, getting us all in trouble. He's been prosecuted. He's had to resign. He's very close to Galtier. He's created the conditions for the French team to be as good as they are. That has to have some sort of knock-on effect. Well, you know how tangible that is, but also the pressure they're under. You know they're home hosts at, at this World Cup next year, and that's fine. Eighteen months out, but as that gets closer and closer, the pressure that will put on these players to perform and get better and better and do it their way. And you know if they're critis- if they're getting criticised for their style, they're hearing that every day. They've very few away games left, so I do think there are things that they're trying to work out as they get to that World Cup. But you know they'll be very good when they get there. They were still very impressive at times on Saturday. Um, but they're good, you know. They're going through their own stuff, and they were never going to be perfect all the way through to the World Cup. That doesn't, that, you know, fourteen in a row is a huge achievement. Like, there's a reason only teams of, you know, only very rare, rare as it being eighteen, nineteen, you know. Yeah, and there were times. I mean, when they ran from deep, it was never overly comfortable at all times. And there seemed to be passages in the game as well where balls were just uh, bouncing around, and it was very loose, and they seemed to bounce into French hands uh, mm. more often than not. So there was that. Well, even the spider quality to the game, like yeah. they got a lot of luck. This, you know, the, the ball hit the camera in the first play, and they got to pin Ireland back and got three points out of it. Might have been more. There was a, a, a some an Irish player got a hand to a ball, uh, put 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 them under play. One of the French players was onside. You know, things were going their way. Even Thomas Ramos shovels it on in his own twenty-two, and and they got a try off it. You know, that, that could equally have run. So they got they did get breaks. But I I thought they had Ireland on the rack. I th- I felt the momentum in the stadium was completely firmly with them ten minutes after half time. Yeah. And what impressed me most about Ireland. Well, one of the things that impressed me because there's a lot that impressed me with Ireland at the weekend was the way they kicked their way back into control in, in, into control of the game with their reserve halfbacks on the pitch. 
I think of James Lowe's banana kick that almost resulted in a 50-22. I think of Hugo, Hugo Keenan's actual 50-22. They were huge moments in the game. They've adapted to that rule or that law change more than any... They've kicked more 50-22s by far than any team in international rugby. Think of how they, they've adapted to the goal line... Um, drop out with that pre-planned try again they're smart as well as everything else they're adapting to the way the laws have been changed they have saw how World Rugby want to speed up the game and they go right we'll do 46 minutes of ball and play and we'll be able for it I mean there's something going on there behind the scenes where they are adapting much quicker to the way the game is moving than everyone else even Andy Farrell in 2020, 2020 when he was getting heavily criticised Eddie Jones was saying no it's all about kicking now it's all about the team of kicks more remember England won the Autumn Nations Cup playing terrible rugby whereas Ireland were trying to play this heads up play and it wasn't working well fast forward three years Eddie Jones is gone yeah. and Andy Farrell saw the game changing in a way that no one else did I mean that deserves an awful lot of credit and none of us saw it I didn't certainly didn't yeah. I mean there's a hubris in, in billing ourselves as pretty much the sharpest smartest team in the world but uh, like, there's a lot of evidence if you were to make that argument Aleem what's really encouraging is if you take I, I, I don't know when when you felt this Irish attacking style really started to blossom you could maybe go back to that England game at the end of the 21 Six Nations perhaps or maybe it's a, a touch later but certainly by the uh, Six Nations last year and into the New Zealand tour Ireland were playing a brilliant brand of attacking rugby and it would have been studied by all the top coaches around the world. And here we are, uh, several international windows later, and it's showing no signs of abating. It's it's not in any way, it seems, predictable. Yeah, I think the first thing that when Andy Farrell came in, <clears throat> obviously he brought in uh, quality assistant coaches and he brought in Paul O'Connell when things weren't working at certain facets. But the first thing I noticed is that the players were much happier. They, they, the change of coaching and management and culture suited them. Uh, and you can see then the spine of the team that is like, you know, we've been... I've been at many, many uh, Leinster games where Hugo Keenan was just starting his journey. And the regularity with which... He runs that exact line that we saw him scoring off uh, at the weekend. He, he's just relentlessly running those lines. And I think with the Gibson Park probably opened up the opportunity for Ireland to play at a, at a better level. And he probably forced the players around him to be able to react. Um, a little like Owen Redden when he started with Ireland. He was just so much quicker than any other scrum half that the players spent a while just trying to keep up with them. Uh, whereas Gibson Park has forced the players to... to, re- to, to there's no thought process in, in many ways. He's like he's playing rugby on the beach at home where he is expecting a number of options to present to him and he's firing it out and you can see Conor Murray is adapting to that style now as well who had considering the week he has had and his family have had it was a phenomenal performance from Conor Murray uh, he carrying a lot going into that particular match so there's a lot of things that are happening around the spine of the team the team are look much happier they're much more comfortable in, in the style they're playing and like I can point back to the try that Hugo Keenan scored for Ireland against Italy I can't remember, it was the autumn, the Six Nations delayed match or something, where there was a turnover of a ball in Ireland's 22 and Caelan Dars picked the ball up and previous number eights would have taken contact, driven, pumped their legs. But Caelan Dars took a weak shoulder, offloaded and Ireland scored a try, you know, 80 metres away. So there's players that are adding enormous value. Caelan Dars is one. I think uh, Ryan at, in the second row, James Ryan, certainly last week, 
He stole a line and he scored a try, but his physicality around the breakdown has improved immensely. The work rate of James Lowe has improved immensely and his impact is enormous. How many Irish players get bundled off the pitch? Can you recall any particular moment in the last game where an Irish player lost the ball cheaply or was bundled into touch? They're fighting so hard for every square inch and they're getting back into shape. And at the pace they're playing at, that's why if I was French rugby, I'd be sitting down and going, hang on a second here. Is this going to be good enough to compete with New Zealand in the pool stages, the World Cup? Is this going to be good enough to, to compete at, in the playoffs if we get that far, indeed, whatever, if we all get that far? So there's an awful lot of really positive things happening, but within the spine of the team. And it has to come from Andy Farrell. Like the quality of that guy, if you just track his, his story from 16 years of age to today, he's just got so many unbelievable traits that are that the players are so keen to play for um and the way that the players are playing there's there's a freedom to play there are rules and regulations to it but some of the stuff Doris is doing as an example is just off the charts mm. previous organizations he wouldn't be allowed to do that uh, Rory the, one of the stats which has jumped out is that the French spent 57 seconds in the Irish 22 as borne out by the nature there attack and Ireland spent nine minutes two seconds inside the French 22 and came away with the four tries and were held up maybe certainly three if not four other occasions was there any sense watching in the stadium that actually there was a bit of wastage in the French 22 well I think where Ireland will go to straight away in analysis is going why didn't we win this by way more like if you spend nine minutes, if this Ireland team spends nine minutes in the twenty-two, they, they should be hitting 50, 60 points. Like th- that's what they will look at. And I think if they are to go on and be the team that they want to be, that's where they need to be going. Because against Wales, I had a debate with uh, one of my colleagues after the game in, we- in Wales, and he was saying, "Look, no one dominates Wales for for eighty minutes in Cardiff." And I said, "Well, the All Blacks of 2011, 2015 would have put 60, 60, 70 points on Wales and Cardiff without blinking an eye. They, they did it to South Africa a couple of times, and that's where Ireland need to go. They can't. They need to have that mindset of like you can't just let rest in your laurels in this game. You need to to be pushing on, and they should have been. Andy Farrell said it afterwards. I, I watched his TV interview um, after the press conference. He said it in the press conference as well. We should have made life a lot easier for ourselves. This game shouldn't have been as close as it was because we were on the line so often. And due to the French, brilliant French defence at times, some illegality. I think Conor Murray was denied by two players offside at one point, which went unpunished. But they got away, so they got away with it. But there was, um, if Ireland want to go to another level, because they're already at the top level in the game, they're the best team in the world right now. But if they want to go to the best level they can be, that's where they get even better. They spit. There was one time they were pounding on line, and no one goes wide unless they get advantage. But James Lowe was screaming for the ball. He had about 40 metres of space. Maybe it's it's that recognition that we don't have to necessarily pound on the line against France, that two passes and we're in. It doesn't have to be penalty advantage to go because no one expects you to go anymore until you get penalty advantage on the five, on the line. So um, there are layers to what they do that they, they, they can add to what they do even now. And that's an incredible position to be in. Even the quick tap penalties. They haven't tried one of those Leinster moves yet. I presume they're keeping that in reserve for the World Cup because why wouldn't you use what, what Leinster have been doing it's worked nearly every time for them I know it's a bit, it's a higher level but um, that's another little thing you could do you think of where England and Wales are and, and like basically starting from scratch whereas Ireland are layering things on top of layering things on top of layers and are just in such a really good position but there is room to improve yeah Lean that all fair about the time in the 22? 
Yeah, I think so. I think it has to be placed in a context, though. You, you think that um, of the 23 Irish players uh, absent from that list were some world-class players, you mm. know, test lines and stuff. And I think we have to keep a little bit of context in how hungry we are for an absolute demolition of a side like France. Like, Tom O'Toole is arguably third choice, tight head. Uh, Dave Kilcoyne is arguably third choice, loose head. you got Ronan Keller, who was obviously in the top three. They all got significant pitch time uh, and did exceptionally well. Like, Ireland will benefit hugely from that. Ian Henderson coming on, coming back to a bit of form. I actually thought that Jack Conan could have come on earlier. I think Peter O'Mahony... Uh, like the legend that he is, I thought he was just flat out exhausted by the time he came off. And he was tiring big time, just a reflection, maybe the style of game or maybe whatever else. And then Ross Byrne, the big, well, before we even get to Ross Byrne, Bundy Aki, there's a big decision for me at 12. Uh, like Bundy Aki makes, makes such an impact. Do we be, are we just lazy and say, leave him make that impact? But in the absence of Robbie Henshaw, you know, you're bleeding, blooding more inside centres. I think that Bundyak did more than enough to start legitimately at 12 uh, injuries aside. And then you come to Ross Byrne, you kind of go, listen, if Ireland were chasing the game and he brought Ireland to a place to win it, you would say, fantastic. But he managed those very, very difficult moments extremely well as well. So there's an awful lot of positives in the context of the selection of the team and who's injured as yeah. well. And some really, really big, like you don't legislate for Tyg Byrne going off as early as he did. But was he was he was it noticed? Obviously, a player of that caliber is going to be noticed. But in terms of the functioning of the team, it wasn't particularly noticed. So it wasn't a perfect, perfect performance. And certainly uh, nine minutes and whatever, eight seconds versus 57 seconds, you'd expect Ireland to come out hugely. But I think regardless of the, of the scoreboard, if I was in the Irish camp, I'd be go, wow, what a great performance. So much we did. We dominated a significant opposition and we kept them relatively quiet resorting to drop goals yeah like that was amazing that's, that's quite a message yeah when a french team are resorting to a drop goal you kind of go you're doing your job pretty well if they're doing that you know what i mean um that was on the so hour mark as well you know yeah yeah you know so i would say in the context of the game in the context of injury in the context of the emotion like the emo the emotional performance to get to that level as well was really significant these guys deserve a week off which they're getting but um i think there's if you were in the French dressing room, I'd be an awful lot more confused than you are in the Irish dressing room, which is a really good place to be. There's no accounting for uh, Antoine Dupont being able to stop your winger from two metres out with just raw strength. What a, that, I mean, there's so many moments in the match, but that was awe-inspiring awe to be able to see him do that. It was incredible. So, I mean, in fairness, the French defended very well as well, and that shouldn't, that's not, that can't be taken for granted. Yeah, well, listen, they, they played their part. In Absolutely, yeah. I did... I mean, even as you were watching it the first time, you thought, this is extraordinary. I think the second time most people probably laughed in some kind of way like just in disbelief because all the momentum was with Hansen ah like I mean I, I did I have noted DuPont's strength over over the years there's a reason he's able to bounce out of contact it, like he's small but he's he's like a little rubber ball He's and he's quite broad as well but that was a different level I mean, I, I think I read that he's, he did a bit of judo when he was younger and, and you could see where, where whatever he has in his locker I mean the power to be able to do that Hansen would be pretty annoyed with himself I'm sure yeah. that he didn't get lower but it, it's it, it was an incredible piece of skill and one of the moments of, of, of like one of moments out of Manny but possibly the, the most impressive one of all because Rob Kearney was even saying during the game I think he said it on air as well it's so weird for a game of this standard to have one player who's so much better than everyone 
It's just ridiculous what we're seeing here. Yeah. Yeah, but he's not alone. I mean, you could say the same about Caelan Doris. Well, I saw Caelan Doris. He got 10 out of 10 in the Sunday Independent yesterday. Yeah. It's my first time seeing 10 out of 10. I gave Conor Murray 10 out of 10 after the 2016 uh, All Blacks win. Okay. I don't do the play ratings anymore. And Doris, I, re- I read as well, got 9. <laughs> not, not, not a correlation. <laughs> not a correlation. Uh, Doris as well got 9 out of 10 from Lekeep. Stingy Lekeep. Mm. So that's equivalent to about a 15 out of 10 in the Sunday Independent. Yes. Um, here's a big picture question because we can, we can uh, talk about Doris and say similar things uh, uh, to what we said over the last number of uh, weeks and months. Uh, Caelan Doris from Ballina County Mayo, Liam, you have a good sense of uh, grassroots rugby and the work being done. If Caelan Doris had not gone to Black Rock and had stayed in Ballina County Mayo, would the IRFU and Irish rugby be confident that we would all still know his name? Well, I have that argument a lot when I see really talented Munster players coming through the system and going, if they had an opportunity to play in the Leinster uh, environment, how would it change it? It's a futile discussion. What I can say is that from the moment I saw Darris coming on, I was like, this guy is a game changer because he has a physicality to take the hits and you could see him on Saturday, but he has such football in him. It's it's a real game changer. Mm. Um, And the balance of that back row is is superb. Like you, they're all working their socks off. Um, But what he actually brings, like, it's Eric Miller stuff, if you remember back to Eric Miller when yeah. he was playing. Like this outrageous footballing brain. I had the pleasure of playing with and against Eric. He was just outrageous. He he didn't inevitably not do what he's supposed to do, but you kind of stand back as a player and look, wow, uh, yeah, although you shouldn't have done that, that's actually better what you did. <laughs> and Caelan Doris is actually playing. He's playing within a system, but he can play. He can, like the pass to, um, uh, to Ring Ropes. Yeah. That's... that's that's ridiculous. Like it's absolutely ridiculous that he could be in that heavy traffic, taking contact on his terms, yeah. and be able to skip. Did he face ball two players? Was there two Irish players between? Did he skip two Irish players to hit ring rolls? Certainly one, one, and maybe one and a half yeah. in there. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and and there, was, there was there was a point as well. I mean, the the section sprint up the touchline. By the way, what a what a thrilling moment that was. As we all said, watch your hamstrings. Yeah. Stop. My own goal. But Doris um, is inside him, and obviously making a lot of ground and, and you can see Doris like hand up when he's about 10 metres behind Sexton and of course the genius that is Sexton throw, floats that ball into space and Doris hits it you know like the two of them working in absolute tandem yeah 13 years between them you yeah. know and what what age was Doris when I'll do, try and do some maths in my head but Doris you know he's been watching Johnny Sexton all his life pretty much you know he he, he, he actually we interviewed him in Portugal he spoke about the 09 Grand Slam so he remembers that so he, he would have been 13 or 14 and Sexton made his debut in 2010 you know Sexton screaming in O'Gara's face yeah, exactly yeah. Would, would we have I mean would we have seen Doris well I mean I think Doris is a product of a a unique set of circumstances so I actually spent a couple of hour, an hour with him this morning or, or a bit of time with him this afternoon sorry in, in Herbert Park he was doing a launch for the ISBCC and, and I have a piece with him in Wednesday's paper um, and online but the always be selling always be selling well Gordon Darcy comes in every time he mentions his column <laughs> so I gotta I gotta take a lead from him look he he is his parents are both from Dublin he grew up in Mayo they're, they're psychotherapists they moved to Mayo he grew up in a rural part of Lack, uh, Mayo called Lacken his dad went to Black Rock. His granny lived in Donny Rock. Mm. He would come back up, and he would be boarded in a rock. So I think 
your your question is really interesting because he played Gaelic football for Newport I think he played rugby for Balnaur FC if he didn't have the Dublin background and he he was still the same athlete he could be playing midfield for Mayo at the moment you know that would be maybe the more natural path for him I think he's the third Mayo man to play for Ireland so you've Gavin Duffy and something for the RFU to really not get complacent about well absolutely well there are gifted players of course there are yeah and and Gavin Duffy went to Rockwell I think or was it um, one of uh, uh, Ross Gray maybe and um, Dave Heffern and the other uh, Mayo man went to Black Rock so I mean all of them none of them came through the Mayo system as such so there are obviously great athletes in various counties around Ireland who are not necessarily being picked up I listened to Sean O'Brien talk to the 42 with, on Thursday about how difficult it was for him to make the grade because of where he came from so that is still a massive challenge mm. you know I, I, I was at Michael's um, Belvoir a couple of weeks ago and like the prep the player like that. I spoke to someone who who coaches at a very uh, young age for one of the schools. They played against Michael's recently at under thirteen level, and they put something like hundred points on them. And he said they were throwing screen passes at thirteen that he's never seen. He said it was the best group of thirteen year olds he's ever seen because they get them at nine ten and they teach them the system. So these players are getting incredible advantages. So you put anyone with a bit of athletic ability into that system, you're going to get a rugby player out of it if they have enough self belief. So it's a deeper conversation. I think if 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 Caelan Doris hadn't gone to Rock, he may end up playing for Connacht, and he could have ended up being a very good rugby player. But whether he would have the same complete package he has to be the best player in the world, arguably at twenty four, I don't know. But Irish lucky lucky that Irish rugby is lucky that he has been able to follow that path and he's found his way to this point because he is a phenomenal player. Yes, uh, this game was so extraordinary; it would have been wrong, I think, to start with refereeing decisions mm. but uh, they do obviously loom large in the memory uh, the James Lowe one Ireland were 7-13 down at that stage and I think we all agree Ireland were um, definitely the better team but they were down by 6 and momentum is a real live significant currency in a game uh, so this was not you know in the way that we talk about French directors when there's a game in France and we don't see a replay uh, this was not an Irish director this was not an Irish uh company, this was not RTE um, as the host broadcaster. This was uh, a Six Nations production company and the directors uh, involved are very experienced and have been involved in uh, the biggest games in world rugby over the last number of years. Uh, what's in, what, an interesting development now is that the TMO, I've been in these TV trucks and it, the, you, you can just imagine there's a bunch of screens on the um, main wall in front of everybody and uh, the the production team are working away and the TMO traditionally would sit in that TV truck as well. Yeah. So I've been in the box at times, Virgin, look over my shoulder, I can see the TMO and hear the TMO working away and seeing all the replays. As of late, uh, the TMO has moved to his or her own uh, truck, presumably, and has someone going through the pictures with them. Mm. Uh, so what seems to have happened here is, and the Six Nations, uh, you know, we kind of inquired as to what happened um, and certainly the TMO had access to all the James Lowe angles. But our understa- my understanding is the crucial one, the conclusive one, wasn't seen until after the try had been given. Now, as to whether or not if the TMO was still in the production truck, he would have seen the conclusive image, I don't know. Because certainly as a viewing audience at home, we didn't see it from the Six Nations production either. Mm. So why it was only available three minutes afterwards as opposed to a minute or two minutes afterwards, I don't really know. Uh, but suffice to say 
they're going to have to sort this out because if a World Cup final is decided in this manner, then all hell will break loose. They've also made a choice to try and speed up decision making. So the TMO and Wayne Barnes, and it will come to, I presume, Wayne Atolio as well, are under pressure to make their decision quicker. And and, and if they can, not re- re- make recourse to the TMO at all. But like, there's still humans involved and there's still human error involved. We see, you look at the World Cup in, in football, how many fire officials are standing in that room in their full kit making those decisions, you know, miles away from anywhere and they still get things wrong yeah. along the way. There, We have to accept some level of that mistakes will be made. And I, I, still I, I, human beings working the technology. Exactly. And look, I don't know how, it, you know, there, there is a, I presume now Six Nations and the broadcasters will have a fairly forensic, you know, maybe never assume that's, that's a, what should happen is that the broadcasters and the Six Nations have a very thorough investigation as to why as soon as the try was awarded and Johnny Sexton converted the try, the, the, you know, the, what, the, 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 um, the angle that we needed to see came up on screen. Yeah. Um, but you know, it was so marginal. It was like every other replay looked like Lowe had scored it, and then suddenly it was quite clear. Um, but yeah, if, I, if we were on French off the ball, I'm sure we'd be livid about it. Mm. But at the same time, another mistake was made that you know there was a far more serious incident later on, which evened things out to some degree. And and um, you know, English people are still giving out about Mark Quaido's try in the 2007 World Cup, which was never a try in my book. But this, like, people will still find something sure. to blame the referee on. For, you know, you got to take some responsibility for your own defeat and like it was pretty comprehensive in the end it was Antonio Lima has been cited for the hit and Rob Herring Rob Herring failed as HIA uh, Wayne Barnes uh, I mean we heard his thought process uh, Matthew Carley alongside him several people have noted looked less sure than Barnes is there any argument Barnes could make in your eye a day or two on to stand over the decision um, uh, no, and uh, just to, to build on on what Rory was saying there, that that James Lowe try, I don't think it was a try. However, it should have been a penalty try because it was a no arms tackle to prevent it. So yeah. um, we never got round. I don't know did the TMO discuss that aspect of, of the particular the tackle in that James Lowe was an illegal tackle which prevented him from scoring a certain try, which should have been a penalty try. But anyway, that aside, uh, the the Antonio incident for me is we got to, again, that word context, he's 135, 140, 150 kgs. Like he's as big an athlete in inverted as you'll ever find. And he got lazy in one part. His tackle technique was lazy. He came off the line and made a call on, on hitting a, a, a player who was probably going to put the ball out the door, out the back door, and he got lazy in his technique. So world rugby has, to, in my view, has to be brutal about lazy tackle technique and to be able to differentiate that between an accident on the pitch that might happen because the speed of the outcome is so quick that you get into a bad place. That guy, you can't have him being lazy in contact because he's going to do some significant damage. The fact he's 100 and whatever kgs means it's definitely going to be damage. I think it was outrageous. And world rugby has to be brutal with that because there's only one way to use great language, there's only one way to learn him, which is yeah. send him off, send him back to some tackle school, and then he comes back and he doesn't do it anymore. It was a lazy tackle technique that should be brutally punished. And I think Wayne Barnes, for whatever reason, didn't punish him. What, what, do, you, what do you think the Barnes rationale was? Like, where, where do you think he, he got so out of kilter with basically the entire rugby fraternity here? Maybe, again, I'm only 
I don't know what was going on in yeah. Barnes's head, and and I wasn't. I didn't have a referee thing, so I I, I didn't listen to the the commentary of well, how he, he came. said there was no no high degree of danger about it, which was the the line that everybody was shocked at. The only thing I can take in, in terms of mitigating circumstances was was he over um, compensating for the sheer size of Antonio. In other words, Antonio, even if he made a proper tackle, yeah. would smash the the most of the world's population. Uh, maybe he took that into account. But for me, it's it's dereliction of duty. He, he, you have to get players to get proper tackle technique. And if you allow that 50-50 stuff, you're going to allow a 50-50 tackle technique, which is going to lead to more damage. So I think there's there's I think this is a bad decision yeah. for, for rugby. I think Rory as well, he half uh, remarked, I'm talking from memory here, which is not always um, uh, ideal when it comes to uh, journalism and, and standards, but I, 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 he seemed to as well reference the fact that not all of Antonio hit the jawline of Herring, that there was a, you know, a fair proportion of Antonio hit the, the upper chest of Herring, therefore it wasn't just a, a, a headshot in isolation. Yeah, and I think that's where the, his assertion that there wasn't a high degree of danger comes from, but the fact that Rob Herring was removed for head injury assessment and didn't return, mm. um, to me, is enough degree of danger to uh, <laughs> to have the player sent off. I, I thought it was a scandalous piece of refereeing, to be honest. I thought this is exactly... Wayne Barnes must have sat in how many seminars over the last couple of years reviewing what is a yellow and what is a red and what is nothing and what is... Uh, and, and why. And this is exactly the type of tackle that rugby needs to eradicate. And I've interviewed Wayne Antonio. There's no malice. He's gone out to put a hard shot on an opposition player and as Liam said, he's probably wrecked because he's he's... He's 145 kilos and he's playing against the fastest team in the world. And he just doesn't get his technique right. But there's no excuse for that anymore. We've seen countless players red carded for that for that very reason. And he he would have to leave the field with no complaints as a result of it. You know, with malice or no, it's not about that. It's about um, endangering an opponent. And he endangered Rob Herring. He potentially puts Rob Herring, who's just got his chance because Dan Sheehan's injured and it's 25-30 minutes into this big chance that he's got and now he's gone and Ronan Keller comes on and plays really well the next time Ireland play it's going to be Dan Sheehan and Ronan Keller and even if she, you know, Harry never got to state his case this has massive ramifications on Rob Herring's career also his brain health more importantly because we don't know I think he's had a couple Like we don't know how, how long this will be out I mean the just raw impact and sheer force of what he went through on that pitch was just a remarkable thing and and I think players like Antonio was unfair as maybe it is because that is his body shape. He is a massive man and he's trying to play the game to the best of his ability. He and Paul Valemsa and Tyke Furlong, big men, need to be more responsible about how they throw their, their size around. And I thought Wayne Barnes abdicated responsibility in that moment and should have sent them off. Um, I'm There's a part of me that's glad because it kept 15 on 15 for most of the game and it doesn't give the French an excuse that they, they you know, Ireland beat them fair and square in that way. But really... Um, that was it was a poor 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 decision and it really didn't in a game that as I said earlier was the, one of the greatest advertisements Ruby would ever get it was a reminder of the dark side Okay fellas we'll take a very short break and then just round off the other uh, games in a couple of moments Rugby and Off the Ball with thanks to Vodafone main sponsor of the Irish Rugby team we all belong to the team of us back with Rory O'Connor and Liam Toland in just one moment Monday Night Rugby on Off The Ball with Vodafone main sponsor of the Irish rugby team we all belong to the team of us 
Welcome back. Liam Tolan still with us. Rory O'Connor of the Irish Independent still with us. Uh, we will keep this relatively brief, fellas, because we've kept you long enough. Scotland 35, Wales 7. So for the first time since 1996, Scotland have won their opening two games of this championship. They will go to Paris next. And then Steve Borthwick and England, 31 points to 14 winners against Italy. Uh, we might start with that game at Twickenham yesterday. I suppose, Liam, the um, uh, headlines in advance of this game were that it was a Slade Lawrence, Ollie Lawrence midfield, Owen Farrell at 10. England seemed to bully Italy up front and, and Borthwick teams are very good up front traditionally. And so that was the, the, the meat of their win. Have they found any kind of uh, headway in the direction of, of, of something beyond fairly rudimental rugby? I think Borthwick is beginning to shape the team and the, and the style into the type of play that uh, Leicester did under him. And it's disappointing because um, Eddie Jones, I thought, was was about to unleash a kind of a chaotic rugby style by World Cup. And I was really looking forward to seeing it. Uh, we may never get to see it now because it looks like Bartuki is going back to basics Um which is a little bit unfortunate. And his selection obviously was was the big thing where Farrell went in at, at 10. How far this England team will go and how much damage it can do to us on Paddy's weekend is probably the big question, isn't it? Yeah. Um, clearly, if you were Borthwick, you'd be saying, we're going to have to beat the bejesus out of Ireland. We've got to slow them down, which implies a huge negative kind of a, a way of approaching that fixture, which I think would be terrible. But I think that's probably where his team is going. Um, but looking at Italy, wow, like, <laughs> it's just, I just love what, like, I've always been a massive fan of their provincial game. Uh, having been to so many of them uh, here in Ireland and seen some of the, they don't get the results they always want, but some of the rugby they play is just wonderful and two weeks in a row they've played some absolutely wonderful wonderful rugby and i can't wait for the rome fixture um it's going to be a tester for mm. ireland um and maybe ireland will adjust their style a little bit to adapt to what what italy are doing but uh, i'm disappointed in england um mm. yeah it's a disappointing when you when you benchmark that with with edinburgh and dublin you kind of say wow um is there a more boring place on the planet than twickenham when they're playing that style and to pick up on Liam's point rory they will look at the French approach the weekend, which was jouer jouer and have a cut, and they'll double down on that sense of, well, we need what, to make this miserable and stop start. What surprises me really is that Australia and South Africa and Fiji to a, to a large degree as well showed a way of stopping Ireland because Ireland didn't play well in, in November in terms of their attack. They piled into the breakdown. They made every contact a, a war zone. And Wales tried, but just didn't have the, the tools to do it. And France... I think we'll see a very different approach if we do ha end up with this quarterfinal that everyone seems to be expecting um, a very different approach from France in terms of the collision zone and slowing the game down. England have the tools to do that, whether they have enough of the other tools to beat Ireland. Like, I think that's quite a dangerous... I think I was asked to pick my... you know Which do I see as the banana skin and, and everyone else in, in the thing I was doing went for Murrayfield. I think how many times have, have the Celtic nations tripped England up on the final day um, I think England would quite relish that role coming over on, on the yeah. final day Might Ireland be, with before, the pressure be, on before anyone goes to print the t-shirts saying Ireland Grand Slam 2023 let's not make sure that leaks yeah uh, the week that, of would, the game. that would help but, yeah. you know, and like, but I, I, like, I just think you know, in, uh, and this could serve them well at the World Cup because Cup Rugby as things tighten up being able to do your basics well is very valuable and they have some good players but at the moment I don't know if they have the cattle they, like South Africa play that way but South Africa have 
incredible forwards mm. and incredible outside backs plus a very like in fairness uh, Farrell is a very good 10 as well Pollard does that job but I think South Africa have a better version of what, what England have so I think it'll only take them so far Um yeah, I wouldn't want to be paying a, however much a venture seat for Twickenham is at the moment. Um, and that Wales game, it just looked, they looked like a mid-table team. They both looked like mid-table teams. And it looks like that decision to change coaches, while I understood it at the time, I don't think rugby works in the way that, fo- and it doesn't often work in football either. There's so much importance on cohesion and yes. building over time. To start from scratch in the middle of a cycle with so little time to go is very, very difficult. Uh, Scotland 35, Wales 7, Liam. Uh, Finn Russell to the four. Uh, Scotland, it's interesting. Uh, it does seem, you know, Hogg has lost the captaincy. Russell was effectively bombed out of the squad and he, and he knew he was, but for injuries. And it does seem as if there is a better leadership group and a better culture almost around this team. There's a degree of speculation there from the outside. Um, that married to the, you know, the ta- talent they do have. Yeah, because I, I know when... when Oftentimes, Ireland would beat Scotland in the last whatever amount of years, and I'd leave the, the fixture go. We've been pretty upset because an awful lot of what Scotland were doing five, six, seven years ago was so wonderful to watch, yet they just couldn't keep it together, couldn't keep the discipline, and couldn't keep the elite level culturally or whatever reason to put Ireland to the sword. Not that I'm looking for Ireland to be beaten, but I'm just in admiration of the style Scotland are playing. So they have seemed to found a new culture. like. Well, am I right in saying that the leadership, the Scotland leadership players were caught drinking and breaking curfew some time back? Yeah. And and, and, I've, and I've had a sense just through the grapevine that actually a fair proportion of the players in the squad took a dim view of that and have backed Townsend and have backed moving in a new direction as opposed to siding with the previous leadership group. If I've learned anything from my time, uh, certainly my few years in Leinster, culture trumps everything. And when that Leinster team discovered how to win matches, what it took to win matches, all the talent, all the other stuff fell into place, all the kind of the academies and the schools. It was a culture piece that was missing. And maybe they've turned a corner, Scotland, and all the better because it's fantastic. I love watching a lot of the how they play. And mm. it seems that Russell and Townsend have, have some tentative, I don't know, maybe Boutras Boutras Galley came in or something <laughs> signed some sort of an accord but there, there's some sort of a you know yeah. uh, a balancing act going on there that it, a spark is going to light it because Russell's still just one minute you just love him but then you're kind of head in your hands you go oh my god this yeah. guy if you get like you look at the, the pool we have now in the World Cup you could you could easily argue getting out of that like for all for all Wales' problems, their pool is pretty much guaranteed they'll get out no matter how bad they are in many ways. But Ireland now is looking different. So this, going back to the emotional journey that Ireland have to manage over the course of the Six Nations, going to Scotland now, is this one where Andy Farrell ramps up the emotion or is this something where it's business as usual, guys, we're just going to go out, do what we do and whatever else, or some sort of a balance. But it does it does take... There, I'd be interested if we had an opportunity to ask him how he's going to approach that particular fixture in an emotional sense, mm. because obviously the last game requires an awful lot when England come to Dublin as well. It could be a grand slam 20 years after the last fiasco and the, the carpet yeah. gate in, in 2003. So um, I'm delighted that Scotland are back. Uh, Wales, if you look at the statistics of how they're playing, they're doing like most of the statistics is perfect. 
time in the opposition 22, time in the possession stakes, etc., etc. But maybe it's just all the new faces in the group, the new coaching ticket. They're just not quite understanding how they can how they can get those scores. So they're doing an awful lot right, but it's pretty it's pretty grim viewing for them. Mm. Uh, Scotland in Paris next day. I thought it'd be a fun game. Um, and Ireland obviously in Rome, and then we'll. Uh, bundle along into round four. Uh, we're pretty much done. The most worrying Irish story from the weekend, Sunday Times yesterday, Ireland struggling to find Parisian hotel for World Cup that they're happy with. Yeah. Why, why can't we get a hotel in this country for World uh, well, Cup? Well, in fairness, anyone who's been to France on holidays, the, the hotel stock is never, it's, it's not one of France's great strengths. Um, we they have a nice base and tour. Yeah. Apparently it's a big problem for all, the, it's not just Ireland. Right. Um, and Ireland. one with a gym. The way it works is they, they do a draw at the start and Ireland came out quite low on the draw, so they're quite low down the pecking order. So they get four dibs, or, or so there's four teams in Paris for the quarterfinal week, and they're four, they're fourth on the list. So they have a bit of an issue in that. I think it's it's not there's no there's no good hotels with good facilities, and they're also quite far from the Stade de France. Like Andy Farrell talks about adversity all the time. If it, Andy Andy Farrell deals with this the way he's dealt with everything else, he go great. Great, we've got a crap hotel. Great, bring it on. So maybe the RFU uh, logistics people need to take their lead from their, yes. their co- head coach. But um, yeah, it's a bit of a concern. But like, the, the, I'd be less worried about this group in that environment than I would have been about others. Um, they're in tour for a long time. I said it'd be got to get out of tour by by the time it rolls around. But yeah, it's uh, one of those little uh, red, red flags on the horizon. I appreciate you taking my very average let's wrap up the conversation gag and giving us a, a full and complete answer. That's that's what no you're worries. bringing to the I'm doing my work on planning at the moment. So that's, uh, <laughs> it's on my mind. Uh, we are at a time. Liam, much appreciated. Thank you very much. Take care, guys. And Rory Connor from the Irish Independent. Thank you very much, Rory. Appreciate hey, it. Cheers, Liam. Just before we sign off, uh, main sponsors of the Irish rugby team, Vodafone, they're offering small uh, business customers the opportunity to display their brand pitch side, uh, advertising obviously during the Ireland-England match, as well as that if you are a small business owner who knows a rugby fan between the ages of 7 and 12 who would like to be mascot for the Irish team, Vodafone are offering that once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. Mascot will meet the team and walk out with them at the England game, which is uh, not a bad afternoon, I think it's fair to say. If you want to enter for either of those opportunities, just check out uh, Vodafone Ireland's Twitter or else search vodafone.ie forward slash business. Monday Night Rugby on Off The Ball with Vodafone, main sponsor of the Irish rugby team. We all belong to the team of us.